Welcome to the geek to geek podcast where we question if any fantasy is truly final. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. I'm here, too! That you are. Today, we're talking about JRPGs. So, uh, we saw online on, I think it was Twitter or one of the blogs I follow, someone said that they have, like, a JRPG July event going on. I don't know how big or widespread this is, but it has been on our topic list since day one to talk about JRPGs. Mm -hmm. So, I figured, why not? If someone else is doing JRPG July, let's jump in. So... This is us talking about JRPGs. Did you want to talk so about excited. like what exactly a JRPG is? Yeah, and what's interesting to me about what a JRPG is is that I didn't know for a long time that this was a differentiation from any other kind of RPG. That growing up, when I saw things that just said RPG, I immediately assumed that they were the Final Fantasy, Squaresoft kind of games, and just really had no concept that there was any other kind of video game role-playing that you could do. And it was much later in life, because this was probably when I was like seven years old, started reading video game magazines. Actually, no, I started reading video game magazines when Mario 3 came out. So however old I was with that one. But then I started seeing the term JRPG and I noticed like there's a difference, but it means Japanese role-playing game. That literally JRPG is a kind of role-playing game that was originated in Japan with these very specific ideas of mechanics that and how the game worked with turn-based battles, lots of grinding and leveling and gearing up your party and having a party of multiple people that you were controlling, grinding and pushing your way into the next part of the story with a predetermined set of characters. That it's very much a lot of them are anime-based, that even if they're not based on anime, it's those same kinds of themes and tropes and conventions that you see in lots of anime that, that pretty much make up the core of the Japanese role-playing game, the JRPG. Right, and so you would hold this up next to, um, when you're talking about JRPGs and RPGs in general, usually the differentiation that you would make is there's Western RPGs and there's JRPGs. So like you said, JRPGs are Japanese Everything else is basically considered a Western RPG, no matter mm -hmm. where in the world it comes from. Japanese RPGs are just this different beast altogether. And one of the things that I think you're kind of getting at is that it'll typically have, and this is part of where the anime influence comes in. It's not directly anime, but it's more like these stories are Japanese stories. And they've been yes. localized and translated into English for us because we live in the U.S. But, you know, they've been localized to whatever country you play them in. But the core of the story is not a Western story. It is a Japanese story. You know, it's an Asian story. So it's different than what we're used to getting from our Western developers. And then kind of along those same lines that you touched on a little, a lot of the time they are predetermined characters, whereas in a Western RPG we often have character creators. So if you think of a game like Skyrim or Fallout 4, you know, are just two of the most recent examples, a lot of Western devs will give you this huge, massive character creator. You make whatever character you want. You name it whatever you want. They look like whatever you want. It's whatever class you want. I mean, it becomes your avatar, right? That's very, very typical. And you're even going through making choices through dialogue that impact the story where you are changing the narrative of the game based on the way you want to play that story. That you can make differences in quests by being a good guy or a bad guy or stealing from a small child or stealing a locket out of a dresser. That those are things that you cannot do 
in a Japanese RPG, that it is all scripted out, that you are experiencing a predetermined narrative rather than influencing it on your own. Right. And, you know, there are some JRPGs that might let you tweak your character, but we're speaking very generally here. Right, right. You're usually handed a character and said, this is your character. Um, You might have been able to name them if it was a game that was older and it didn't have any voice acting in it. These days, you're probably not even naming your characters in a JRPG. They probably have a name and that's their name, you know? Yep. And when I was younger, if it did not play like a JRPG, if it was not Final Fantasy or Earthbound or one of these kinds of games that Chrono Trigger or something like that, I did not play. I hated them, actually. I hated Bethesda games. I hated Daggerfall. That was the first one I ever tried. Elder Scrolls 2. I hated it because there was so much text. There was no, I couldn't parse the story out because I was used to the tiny, or, well, I was used to the big blue bubbles of text that had large characters in it. And in Daggerfall and the Elder Scrolls and Fallout and all of these, the text was so small. You were getting paragraphs worth of text that you were reading, and it was just uninteresting to me. I wasn't seeing the characters move around. I was seeing char- like tiny, tiny sprites stand there instead of having scripted events moving around. I just hated Western RPGs growing up, and it's only been probably within the last... 10 years maybe that I've truly started to appreciate Western RPGs as opposed to most of my life as a gamer playing exclusively JRPGs and loving those way more. Hmm, That's interesting. I don't think I made the distinction until much later in life. I didn't really realize the difference in genre until I had already experienced both of them. So I never really had that aversion to it. But I can see how you would if you had gotten into the JRPG mindset and then you were given yeah. a Western RPG, just kind of like, what is this? You know? Yeah, I think it was playing Final Fantasy VI that I just loved. Well, Final Fantasy III when I was a kid. But playing Final Fantasy III was fantastic. I rented Chrono Trigger a bunch, I remember. And then I played Daggerfall. And I remember also trying to play the original Baldur's Gate. And I hated it. Like, I despised everything about it. Like, it was slow and boring. Things didn't happen. There was nothing epic going on. And that was a big part of JRPGs is that it's these they're full of epic stories. And I didn't get to that in the beginning of these Western games because typically Western gamers go from like the starting out from humble beginnings, working your way up to being this chosen hero. And JRPGs, a lot of times, there's epic stuff from the very beginning. Even in the prelude, you're fighting some sort of big bad. Well, in Final Fantasy in particular has a tendency to do what's it called? Is it in media res where Uh you start in the middle of the action? And I'm. Actually, I want to ask you, when you said Final Fantasy 3, did you mean in the old numbering or the actual numbering? Yes. Well, the old the the old numbering where it was okay. Final Fantasy 6 is the real one, but I played yeah. Final it was 3 to me when I was a child. Okay, history lesson for those of you who don't know cuz I'm a huge Final Fantasy fan. Final Fantasy did not come over to the West in the same way that it released in Japan. Japan, it's numbered 1 through whatever the latest one is. 15 is coming out this year. And they just came out in order. When they moved them over to the West, they wanted to keep a consistent numbering system. So they released Final Fantasy 1, which was Final Fantasy 1 in Japan and Final Fantasy 1 in the US. Then when they released Final Fantasy, I think, 4 in Japan yep. is Final Fantasy 2 in the West, if you played the old version. And then Final yes. Fantasy 6... In Japan is Final Fantasy 3 in the West. This is the way they used to be numbered. 
the way they are numbered now, because they've re-released every game, and we finally have every Final Fantasy in the mm-hmm. West, they are numbered correctly these days. But when he says Final Fantasy 3 as a kid, which it means Final Fantasy 6, that's what we're talking yes. about. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting to think about them doing this because it's such a different gaming culture now that 2 and 3 and 5 were avoided in the American market because they were deemed too difficult for American audiences for the way that we wanted games. That the systems were so complex with 3 and 5 specifically with the job system that that wasn't what American gamers wanted so they weren't even released here. And it's funny because it's actually flipped. Did you ever see the results of that survey from Final Fantasy 15 last year? No. No, I didn't. Okay, so Final Fantasy 15, it's coming out here this fall. It's coming out worldwide this fall, I should say. Um, Last year, probably like six or nine months ago, they released their first major demo, which was like a vertical slice of the game. It was an open world area. You could experience the combat. You could experience a tiny, tiny bit of the story. And it was basically like anyone who's interested in Final Fantasy, please play this demo. It's it's a solid like four hour open world chunk. It doesn't give away okay. much, but it gives you a really good feel for the game. And then take the survey at the end. So they released it in the West. They released it in Japan. Everyone filled out this survey, right? I did it. Everyone I know who plays Final Fantasy did it. Basically, what they found was that all of the people in the West said the game was too easy, and all of the people in Japan said it was too hard, and they were playing the exact same game. Wow. That is amazing how different it is in 2016 as opposed to 1990. Yeah, because the exact same reasoning that you just gave for what they did in the 90s has been completely flipped around now yep, that's crazy i i just thought that was an interesting tidbit i might have a bunch yeah. of interesting final fantasy tidbits as we go along here um i'm sure you do yeah so maybe we should give a little bit of a background our history yeah yeah so where did you come to jrpgs okay i don't remember probably final fantasy one honestly because i've been playing them for so long i remember renting it i remember playing and i want to say it was star tropics as well was a jrpg uh that i rented a bunch uh i absolutely loved final fantasy i was terrible at it because i was a super young kid and i had no idea what was going on but i loved playing it what really really solidified me was final fantasy 2 and 3 4 and 6 in the united states and Chrono Trigger. There was a video store. There, I, I grew up in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, and there was a video store called Lawrenceburg Video. They had copies of Final Fantasy II, Final Fantasy III, and Chrono Trigger. And I grew up poor, where I had a lot of video games, but I had... I played, when I got a video game, I played that video game. That okay. I didn't get a lot of new video games. Yeah, yeah. So we couldn't afford lots of them. So when I got one, I got one that I could play. But we were able to rent movies occasionally. So we would go to the video store and I would rent a rent a game or something like that when you get, when you went to the video store. And I remember renting Final Fantasy 2, Final Fantasy 3, and Chrono Trigger so much that I beat all of these games on the rental because you could have, I think, three save slots. And I was able to rent it and keep it rented long enough to be able to play through my save games on these games. So I played on the Super Nintendo without ever buying them, just renting them on the same cartridge. Uh, No one erased my save games, amazingly. And back when you had to share them like this. And that and Super Mario RPG. Mario RPG, when it came out, was unbelievable. My friend Luke and I just played this game until we were sick that it was we were crazy into Final Fantasy, we were crazy into RPGs in general that 
Mario RPG was everything that we loved about gaming, and I'm still to this day sad that even with Paper Mario, that they don't have that same just wonderful feel that the original one did. So I'm, I'm wondering, is this Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars? Yes. Okay. Yes, the Super Nintendo, yes. Okay, continue on. I just had to make sure that we were talking about the same Mario RPG, because that one's on my list also. Where it's just the combat was fantastic, the story was great, the graphics were pre-rendered 3D, just craziness at the time. It was a Squaresoft game that that had Mario characters, so it was great. And then when I was 14 years old, Final Fantasy VII came out. And I'd been following this, like I said, on a different podcast. that I don't remember if it was our show or a guest spot where I was 14 when it came out and I'd been following the release of Final Fantasy VII all the way up through all of the gaming magazines and all the publications and whatever little bit of the internet existed at the time in 1996 or 7. And when it was released, it came out initially with the Tobal number 1 game. There was a demo of Final Fantasy that gave you the Leviathan summon and you played through the initial part of the game. with a, It was very short. I played this probably hundreds of times just learning everything about it just playing it just experiencing final fantasy 7 and then on release day of final fantasy 7 luke the my friend that i mentioned and my mom and i went on a final fantasy 7 hunt because nowhere in we didn't have a video game store in our town we didn't have a toy store in our town this was way before you know video game stores were a thing there was babbage's i think and like electronics express and none of the stores had it. Walmart didn't have it. We called every town in the surrounding area and got and found one single to store in Columbia, Tennessee at KB Toys in the mall there had copies of Final Fantasy 7. They held us copies of Final Fantasy 7 even though we didn't pre-order it. They held two back for us so that we could go up there. My mom drove the 45 minutes to get us Final Fantasy 7 on release day and the people who worked there were so sad for us that they couldn't give us the Final Fantasy 7 t-shirts because we hadn't pre-ordered it. But we went home and then Luke and I just pretty much never did anything other than play Final Fantasy 7 for a while. But I want to say this was in like September of 1997 is what I'm thinking but I mean I may be wrong on that but just that's where my brain is sitting but it's like I remember going into the toy store and getting Final Fantasy 7 there are very few things that I remember as vividly as calling KB Toys in Columbia finding out they had it the just ecstatic bliss of knowing I'm going to get it on the day that it came out <laughs> and then you know you, you remember being like this as a kid yeah, and yeah. then Getting it home and a game that lived up to the hype. Like, it wasn't a letdown. And at the time, I'd been let down by games even still where it's like, oh man, I bought this game and I've paid $60 for this. I can't afford another game for another like six months and this is bad. But Final Fantasy VII was perfect. It was everything we had hoped that it would be. And that was really, even though I played through 4 and 6 and Chrono Trigger uh, and Mario RPG and Earthbound and all of these Super Nintendo ones that are just brilliant and and hold a special place in my heart final fantasy 7 is the one that solidified me that i have that nostalgic feeling for because i got it on release day and made me a jrpg fan for life even though i don't go back and play it and hold it in as high regard now i hold it in high regard because of the genre that it helped me love so much 
Well, and Final Fantasy VII was a complete game changer. And like mm-hmm. we we will do a Final Fantasy podcast, I guarantee it, just because I know yes. us. Um and we will dive deeper into that when we do that. But yeah, yes. Final Fantasy VII totally, totally was a game changer for the genre. My personal history, it's not that dissimilar from yours. Um, I played Pokemon Red and Pokemon Yellow and Pokemon Silver. Those were probably my uh, first JRPGs. Because okay. really, if you think about it, Pokemon is an RPG, or is a JRPG. And oh, yeah, then, I did play Blue, but I just remember I remember bringing it to uh, when I was it was out when I was fifteen. I remember playing it in my Adventures in Supercomputing class on my original Game Boy. Oh, Pokemon. Right. So Pokemon was kind of my on ramp to JRPGs as a kid. And then after that, I did play Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars Mm. on Super Nintendo. I think I played it at a friend's. I don't think I ever owned it, but I remember really liking it and thinking it was different because I hadn't played a whole lot of games like that at the time. And then I came to Final Fantasy right at Final Fantasy seven. And it was like, okay. I want to say it was just before Final Fantasy eight came out, actually. Oh, okay. Like all of my friends had beaten it and they were telling me about it and showing me the end game and telling me why it was cool so like after the fact i went back and played it and that was kind of what hooked me on the genre was final fantasy understand so i remember friends going to school and talking about these like it was my group of friends were playing the same games and i'd forgotten actually until you said that that brought friends luke and i wanted final fantasy 7 so badly we went and bought wild arms uh, that came out at the time on the PlayStation. It was out before Final Fantasy VII. Oh, and yeah, he na- It was a great game, but he named all of his characters Cloud, Eris, and uh, I want to say Barrett maybe for the other one, but he named his Wild Arms characters the Final Fantasy VII characters just to be able to have it, like, pretend that that was what the game he was playing. Nice. And then, okay, so after Final Fantasy VII, the thing that really, like, solidified this as a genre that I would love for the rest of my life was that because that was the first time I really got into it, I was there in time for, like, the golden age of Final Fantasy, which happened Mm -hmm. basically on PlayStation and then PlayStation 2. So Final Fantasy VII, VIII, IX, and X are kind of, like, the core of my JRPG identity, I would say. And since then... Very recently, like about a year ago, I wrapped this up. Um, I did a Final yeah. Fantasy project, and you know about this because I've talked to you about it plenty of times. Right. But basically, I decided that I love this golden age of JRPG Final Fantasies, and I had never gone back and experienced the whole series because I was too young at the time. So I set a goal for myself to play every single Final Fantasy game in order and write up my thoughts about them. So I did that as a series on my blog. And it's finished now. I mean, I'll add to it when the next game comes out. But that was really, really fascinating for me. I can't even imagine the amount of time and effort that 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 you put in for that. Like, it's crazy to me to think about it because I've wanted to do that and don't have the just don't have the gumption to do it and sit down and say, I'm going to spend this much time solely playing this series of games, especially how long they've become. That how many of them that there are, especially with the Final Fantasy X-2 and then as well as 13 2 and Lightning Returns. Yeah, and my goal was to play through the entire mainline series. So I played through every one of the main numbered games. Um, and then since then, I have gone back and tried some of the spinoffs that I didn't do previously. But right. I, I never set a goal of trying to beat all the spinoffs because that becomes a little bit crazy for quality of game that you're actually playing. But yeah, yeah. that was... 
that was super fascinating for me to get a look uh, at the whole Final Fantasy series. And again, we'll talk about that more when we eventually do a Final Fantasy podcast. But that's kind of my background with JRPGs. Right. So that said, you know, obviously you love the Final Fantasy series. Like you, you love the Final Fantasy series more than almost anybody that I know. Maybe more than anybody I know. Obviously, they're part of your favorites. But like, what else do you like? Like, which other ones like really hold that place in your heart like Mario RPG does for both of us? So the top of my list um, right after Final Fantasy series are Chrono Trigger and I didn't play that game until, oh, it it was only in the last couple of years. It was you. Really? Yeah, it was you and Syl on Twitter talked me uh-huh. into it. It was like a combination of hearing from both of you <laughs> um, over time as I was finishing out my Final Fantasy project. And you were like, after that, you have to have Chrono Trigger. Like, you have to experience it if you haven't. So you yeah. guys wore me down. I played it. It is now right up there at the top of my favorite JRPGs ever. So Chrono Trigger is amazing. And then a game that I just beat this year, and it's probably going to end up on my games of the year list at the end of the year, Persona 4 Golden. Do you know it at all? I don't know Persona 4 at all. I know the Persona series. I've played the first Persona game on the PlayStation, but I never really got into them. It was something I played for a little while. I don't even think I ever beat the first one. So... It's a spin-off technically of another JRPG series called Shin Megami Tensei. I've never played a single one of right. those games. It's a game where like you basically are a school-age kid and you're in like Japanese high school and then crazy things happen. I mean, you you take on some kind of superpower or some kind of special thing or some kind of crazy thing is going on in the world. Um around you and okay. you jump into this world where you can equip personas which give you like basically the ability to fight against monsters right so the games are divided up into two parts and as i understand it most of them are laid out this way but again i've only played persona 4 golden you have segments of you being in school and doing your day-to-day life and growing your relationships and then you have segments where you jump over into whatever the other world is um in persona 4 it happens to be a world inside of the tv called the midnight channel And only you and your friends know it exists, but because of that, you can jump into the TV and equip personas and dive into these, like, dungeons that are basically Hmm. a manifestation of somebody else's psyche who's been kidnapped and is going to be killed if you can't complete the dungeon before a certain date. It's very Japanese. Very Japanese. very Japanese, but also very, like, very dark. It is. It's, It's very dark. But it's also like the portions that are out of combat, right? The portions that are not in the Midnight Channel in particular are all about the social links. And that is why I love this game. It's not for the combat. It's not for the crazy like art style and take on people's psyche, even though that's fascinating. And I do like that part. It's because outside of that, I get to grow these relationships with characters and they feel like real relationships it doesn't feel shoehorned in it's not a second thought it's not a convenient way to get to a side quest or to like add an extra character in like you know when when i think about growing relationships with characters in other jrpgs i think about like yuffie and like vincent Uh in final fantasy 7 right like you have a couple interactions with them and then you get them in your party yeah you know what i mean this is not that this is spending hours and hours and hours with this person as you slowly get to know them and growing into a friendship 
and there's nothing else like it out there. I've never played a JRPG that has felt like a real relationship between characters before. And because of that, Persona 4 Golden is right up there with my favorites. That sounds awesome because the only relationship building that I've ever really played are in Bioware RPGs, which are decidedly Western. I mean, they're they're very much not JRPGs, but the relationship building that you get are, I don't like them that much. I never feel as though those relationships have been earned. That even though I love Bioware games, I never feel as though when I'm making these choices, I'm not making those choices based on our relationship. I'm making those choices based on is this going to further the story in the way that I want it or do I think that this will have some sort of benefit for me by having this character like me more that I'm not thinking about it in terms of actual character relationships like the way that you're describing Persona. Or like, if I do this side quest with this character, will it make me better in combat somehow? Things like that. Right, exactly. This is flipped around, right? You grow the relationships because you want to know what's next in that character's story. You want to know what's next for that relationship. You want to get to know this person more. And because of that, you end up getting some combat bonuses. But you never are going at it like, I'm going to go spend time with this person because I want a combat bonus. It's yeah. really about the story. I'm just, I'm still amazed by how well it pulls it off. That sounds fantastic. That, yeah, that, I, that is the kind of game that I need to play. Is it on PS3? Uh, It's on, Persona 4 Golden is on Vita. I'm not oh, okay. sure what the other, like you can play Persona 4 without the Golden, which is basically the same game, but not remastered. And that's on okay. more systems. Okay. But yeah, how about you? What are your favorites that are out there? Of all. All time Xenogears on the PlayStation 1. Do you ever play it? No, but later on the list, we have games we ah. want to know more about and want to try, and that is on my list. Xenogears is my number one all time favorite JRPG wow. because it did things that no other RPG has done before, and it did them so perfectly that when they tried to make sequels, it messed everything up. That Xenogears takes on the idea of of God and religion and belief as well as technology and martial arts and giant robots fighting each other. It is very Japanese. Don't like you can't say that stuff without being, you know, that that is definitely a Japanese story. Oh yeah. And somehow it all makes sense. And at the end of it, you're hitting with these questions on you're hitting on these points that make you start questioning existence and your own beliefs that as a teenager, it started to really spark the crisis of faith that I had oh, wow. just by thinking about God and the way that that things were, were being dealt with in this. And it was it was fantastic on top of the, the actual philosophical ideas that was being brought up in these existential existential ideas that were introduced to me for the very first time as a teenager the combat was a different kind of turn-based battle where yes it was going back and forth but you had a certain number you had a certain number of points and energy that you could spend and you were able to choose if you attacked with the triangle square or x button let's say because i haven't played it in a long time but you would basically be doing combos like a fighting game but it was basically just queuing up attacks and learning the mechanics that you were doing where it felt very fast-paced but it was still turn-based 
everything about it was just so well put together that the story, the world, everything about it was just very well crafted. And at the time, the graphics were wonderful. Now they don't hold up very well, but what does for the PlayStation 1 era? That's what I was going to ask you is since this is i know i'm jumping ahead to games we want to know more about or are on our list like to try but from that perspective for me like is this the game that would still hold up because i heard great things about it at the time but i don't know if it's one that would i be able to go back and enjoy it still or would it feel too dated i haven't tried it i got really hurt by final fantasy 12 by not being able to see what was going on on my hd tv and i don't have a crt screen to try and hook my playstation one back up on if you have a CRT, I would say that would be your best option, would be to do that. But I don't know. I honestly have no idea how dated it feels right now because I haven't tried it in years. I know that they released it on the PlayStation Network on PS3 for $10. They When they did the Xenoblade Chronicles, I want to play really, really badly, and I haven't done any of them. And they're kind of the spiritual successors to this, I believe, where it's not... It deals with some of the same ideas, but not near nearly as poorly as the Xeno Saga games did where you were running into cutscenes that were an hour and a half long. Okay, yeah, I didn't really know how those were related except that they all have Xeno in the name. Okay, so I'm not entirely sure about Xenoblade Chronicles. I just know that they are loosely affiliated in some distant way. Oh, I thought it might be something totally different. I think they're they're the same. Okay. I think. Now, don't hold me to that, but the bits and pieces that I picked up that they're loosely related... And then the Xeno Saga and Xeno Blade game, Xeno Gears, rather. Xeno Gears is the sixth episode of what was supposed to be a nine or 12 part RPG series that it was this epic sci-fi religious pseudo philosophical just saga. They released episodes one and two of Xeno Saga in which Xeno Gears was episode six. So think of it as like this JRPG Star Wars, where you start in the middle of it, you see where everything comes to a head, and then you eventually get the prequels and the sequels. And that is such like a Japanese thing. I mean, all of this is so Japanese, everything that we're talking about, but things get crazy when you talk about their media. Like, they were yes. planning a nine or 12 series arc, but they started with six and they never completed most of it is what you're telling they never me. Com- yes, they never completed most of it because six was fantastic. Xeno Gears is amazing. And then Xeno Saga came out. And while the story is awesome, the gameplay is garbage. Oh, okay. Um, because they what they did was they made it an interactive movie that lasted 70 hours oh. where you would be playing for a 20 minute cutscene, a 30 second walk down a hall, then you might get an hour and a half cutscene that you couldn't skip or pause. That if you turned off your system, you had to restart everything. It was just so poorly put together on the PS2 that then they released a second one, and I can, I'm, I cannot even pronounce this. The oh, uh, I remember seeing. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Those things got it, crazy for titles. Yes, they did. And so there might be a third episode. Might be because I can't remember if it got canned or released very slowly, like very low key. I don't know. Okay. But there are three or four of these games that they did not do well. Like, they have a cult following and people do like them. Like, the people who like them really like them because they're able to invest in them. 
I can't. I don't see you being able to invest in that series other than Xenogears because it it was worth it. Okay. It has it, I'm rambling about it and gushing about it and I haven't played it in probably 10 years. That was when I was in at some point when I was in college and going back and playing through it was just as awesome the second time and third time as it was the first, but it's a long game that that I can't say enough good things about on how it actually legitimately impacted my life and belief system. That kind of media doesn't come around very often. No, that's that's crazy levels of like how much it impacted you personally. Sorry, I right. I made you tangent and all the other things. I feel more knowledgeable now. Oh, but, no. but what else is on your top list? Earthbound. I love Earthbound. I need to play Earthbound again because I came late to Earthbound and I don't remember a lot about it. I just remember that of any game I've ever played, it's fun that I remember that feeling of just having a good time because I've always liked things that don't take themselves too seriously. Then Earthbound does not take itself too seriously. It's aliens and weird 8-bit cartoon graphics, and usually I hate front-facing turn-based combat, but it's it's brilliant that it, it's about friendship and helping people, and I just really like it. This one fits into. I'm realizing more and more that you just like wacky things sometimes. I feel I like I do. I love wacky stuff. I do. Um, that is yes. So yes, this I one do. fits into that category. It fits into that category, but it's also meaningful. That's okay. the thing. I like really wacky stuff, but I also like stuff that makes a difference. And that's kind of why I'm going on a side tangent here just really quickly. That's why I like things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because on the surface, they seem really, really goofy. But once you actually sit down and watch it, you, you know, you cry when something bad happens to those characters. That's how I feel about Earthbound. Like, I remember feeling really, really sad at parts of it and then just really ecstatic for others even though you might fight things with a yo-yo and that may be your weapon same thing for Final Fantasy 9 like Vivi was the first character I ever cried for in an RPG and that's why Final Fantasy 9 is my favorite of the series is because it's this fantastical setting that doesn't have anything to do with anything else but it makes me care about them as people. So yeah, I like wacky yet meaningful things and that's hard to find. Yeah, I see Final Fantasy IX on your favorite list and I, I'm kind of purposefully glossing over the Final Fantasy series because I want to talk about it more in depth. But right. but since you have it on here, I should say Final Fantasy IX is my favorite Final Fantasy game having played the entire series. So yes, if I had to pick out one to be on my favorites list, it would be FF9. Yep. That's what I did too. It is people who have played it, love it, and a lot of people missed it. So they re-released an HD remaster, you guys. It's on Steam. It's on the iPhone. It's on Android. Go pick it up. It is worth anything that you pay for it to play it. And it's okay. Since we're talking about it anyway, I was trying to gloss over Final Fantasy because I know I can get tangented on it very easily. Final Fantasy IX is amazing because it happened right near the end of the golden age of Final Fantasy. What I was talking about, like the core mm-hmm. of my JRPG identity, and when a lot of people were into the series, that PlayStation 2, PlayStation 1 era. And yep. it is basically a throwback to 
all of the old Final Fantasies, and I never appreciated how amazing it is until I played through the whole series because mm. Final Fantasy IX takes everything they learned with like the more modern and sci-fi Final Fantasy games, so seven and eight, and uh-huh. it takes what they learned from that, but then applies it back to a high fantasy setting for the first time since basically Final Fantasy V because six is kind of in a weird in-between spot. Yeah, um, six is kind of steampunky fantasy and yeah, art, yeah, like, it's kind of anachronistic. Yeah, and it's also technology. Yeah, it's it's yeah. in a different spot. But Final Fantasy Nine is a return to high fantasy after being away from it for like three games, which represents a bunch of years. And it's just it's so good. I love that game. So good. Play it. And then the last one that I just absolutely adore, I had to list. It's weird that I listed more games than you did, but you listed like 15 of them just by saying Final Fantasy series. Um, yeah, I cheated a little bit there. Lunar or Lunar Silver Star Story. I just found out five minutes before we started recording this podcast that there is an iOS app for Lunar Silver Star Story, and it is brilliant. It has a unique turn-based battle system where positioning on the field and the distance from enemies makes a difference. So you're moving around dodging attacks, but you can only do it on your turn. So it's really cool. So it's it, it's it's your kind of battle system, I believe. And it it has a very, very good story. I don't remember a whole lot of details about it now, but I remember playing Lunar Blue next and turning it off because it wasn't as good as Silver Star Story. And I just couldn't <laughs> play a game that wasn't as good as that. So I love it, and it is probably going to be on my phone soon because it's only $7. Wow. I Yeah, that does sound like one I might have to pick up, especially if it's on iOS. I play a lot of games on my phone, so that's easy for me. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. I bought the big, super special deluxe version of it for the PlayStation 1, and I still have the cloth map of the world that I just, I love it. A little bit of nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I I know we also wanted to talk about, like, which ones, and we won't linger here, but, like, which JRPGs just don't work for you? You know, is there a series or a game in particular? I know for me, Grandia, it just kind of never really hit home. I I don't hate it. I don't loathe it. It's just every time I've tried Grandia, it's kind of, meh, and take it or leave it, and I eventually move on to something else. And then... Same here. Okay, and then the other one for me is Dragon Quest, which is weird because I love Final Fantasy, and a lot of people see like Dragon Quest as bigger than Final Fantasy, especially in Japan, that's true, not so much here. Knowing that it's bigger than Final Fantasy in Japan, I've gone back and I've tried to play Dragon Quest a bunch of times Mm -hmm. with a bunch of different games. I actually made myself beat one of them because I wanted to say that I finished one all the way to completion, and I, I still just, I don't like it. You know, <laughs> I I can't either. Ever since I was a kid, when it was being released as Dragon Warrior over here, oh yeah, just can't just can't do it. I just don't like it. I keep trying, same as you. I try occasionally, whichever one is out and new. I would rent it, demo it, play it at a friend's house. Just don't like it. I don't know what it is about it that I don't like. I don't know if it's the battle systems, the stories. But I don't think, and this is a tangent that we can either run with or not, I don't think I like Enix games. 
Enix, the Enix part of Square Enix is what I think is taken away from from the latest Final Fantasy games because they've played a lot more like Enix games as opposed to Squaresoft. And when they merged companies, that's when I noticed that I started playing fewer and fewer JRPGs. I I can see that. I don't know enough about Enix games to comment a whole lot, but I, I know enough to think that you might be onto something there. In terms of Dragon Quest, though, I realized by actually finishing one game, because I, I wanted more context. I wanted to understand why I didn't like it when so many people yeah. did. And it's a genre. You know, it's JRPG. I love JRPGs. I wanted to know why I didn't like it, which is why I made myself finish a full game. I think part of my problem with it is that the core gameplay does not change, right? Uh, Final okay. Fantasy... I love Final Fantasy for its constant reinvention of itself between each major series entry. Every Final Fantasy game you play is basically a new gameplay system, but yep. there's this little bit of core to it that still makes it feel like a Final Fantasy game. Dragon Quest, every game you play has the exact same system on it. Like oh, like exactly okay. the same system. It has not changed. Like they might have tweaked it ever so slightly, but you can play the latest Dragon Quest game, and you can go back and literally play Dragon Quest 1, and they have the exact same battle system. And that's like the yep. core of the game. So it hasn't evolved with time, and that bugs me a lot. I think it, that may be what bugs me about it too, is it just doesn't feel right. There's just something about it I don't like. And, you know, it might be if I had played the original Dragon Quest right when it came out, and it hooked me at the time maybe it would have been a series that I would have followed. But going back to it now, it's just, it doesn't do it for me. And because the battle system, the core of the game hasn't changed, it's like, there, there's nothing here for me unless you eventually try to change your system. But then I guess it wouldn't be Dragon Quest anymore. And I mean, as somebody who played Dragon Warrior on the NES when I was a child and loved Final Fantasy and JRPGs, it didn't hook me. I don't think it would have. Okay, so maybe maybe it's just not for me, and I'm I'm okay with that. I have plenty of other JRPGs <laughs> that I like. And speaking of which, like this was what I was jumping ahead to. But what games do you have on your list that you want to know more about or you want to try? Um, for me, like I said, Xenogears was on there. Earthbound, which you actually told me a little bit about, which I'm grateful for. The Super Xeno, good. Yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles series. Yep. So one of those was that's out on, on mine. Yeah. Okay. One of those is out on the Nintendo Wii, and then the second one, which I think is called Xenoblade Chronicles X, is out right. on the Wii U. That came out in the last 12 months or so. And then there's a re-release of it on the 3DS, on the new 3DS, where you have to have a new 3DS to play it. Right. Um, yep. Which is but kind of But it's a re-release of X. Yeah. I also have The World Ends With You, which I had tried on DS at the time, and I didn't mm -hmm. understand it at all. So I gave up on it. And ever okay. since then, I've heard people just raving about this game. Did you ever touch it or play it? Do you know what it is? No, I've heard the name and that's the extent of it. I've heard people raving about it and I have honestly ashamed to say I've never bothered to look it up. So this one's still kind of in the back of my mind is something I should probably go track down a copy of on DS. Basically, okay. you were playing two games at the same time. And when I was a kid and I tried to play this game, 
I couldn't get my head around it, so I got frustrated and I gave up. But basically on the DS, you know, you have the top screen and the bottom screen. Uh-huh. So you had the touch controls, I believe, were controlling everything on the bottom screen with a stylus, and then your buttons were controlling things on the top screen. And you were playing oh. two characters at the same time in the same game, and their stories intertwined somehow. There wow. hasn't been anything else like it since. And I feel like I'm missing something there, but I don't know what I'm missing because I gave up on it so early without realizing what it was. That sounds really interesting. I want to know more about this now. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) that one's on my list. And then I also have the Star Ocean series. I've like barely ever touched it. I probably should give it a shot because there's a bunch of games out there now. And then um, Shin Megami Tensei series. Maybe it might be for me. It might not. I really like Persona and I know Persona is a spinoff of this series. So I don't right. know if I went back, if the core series would still be for me. But having loved Persona 4 so much, I feel like yeah. I owe it to myself to go back and at least check out one game of the series that it spun off from. Does that make sense? It does. And especially since they actually still include Shin Megami Tensei on the titles of the games that like Persona 4 is technically titled Shimagami Tensei Persona 4, isn't it? I think they dropped it with Persona 4 Golden. I think okay. they're not doing it anymore because I know Persona 5 is just Persona 5, but I know Persona 3 had it as like a, a title yeah. before. So yeah, something like that happened. You're on the right track though. It's Japanese naming conventions and we can't keep up. Oh man, <laughs> like Fire Emblem Sharp FE Tokyo Mirage Sessions that just came out on the Wii U. That is still better than whatever they're doing with Kingdom Hearts games. Oh, I don't man. honestly know what the newest one is called. Like I cannot remember it. I think I I'm physically incapable of remembering what that game is called. I am. Okay, listeners, I am going to edit this in post. I'm going to look back at my video game news now notes, and I'm going to find you the latest name of the latest Kingdom Hearts game. Give me a second. Okay, listeners, we're back. I looked it up. I had it in my show notes from a video game news now episode. The latest Kingdom Hearts collection is called Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue. That is the name of this collection that they just announced. And the games included, these are like all separate titles for different Kingdom Hearts games. All of these are in this collection that they're going to be putting out. Kingdom Hearts X Chi Back Chapter, Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance, and Kingdom Hearts 0.2 Birth by Sleep A Fragmentary Passage. Those are literally the names of the Kingdom Hearts games that are coming out now, like in 2016. I just, I can't even. I can't even. Anyway, Kingdom Hearts. Sorry, I got on a tangent. I just, <laughs> yep. oh, it blows me away every Sometimes time. Sometimes you have to. Yeah. So what about you? What are your games that you still have to check out that you want to? I Like you said, I want to play Xenoblade Chronicles, and that goes back into me loving Xenogears so much um, and just hearing wonderful things about it. I've heard too many good things about the Bravely Default and Bravely Sequel not play them at some point, especially given that they had started development as Final Fantasy games. I really want to play it, and I have friends who have offered to let me borrow their copy of it, and I just haven't had time to sit down and do it. Um, I I think I will love it whenever I do. I think Um, you will, too. I loved Bravely Default. It doesn't quite make my top list ever, but it's definitely at the top end of, like, all of the other games. You know, it's just barely off my favorite games list of JRPGs. Okay. Well, that that, that is 
as many as you play, that's still mega high praise. And then Austin was talking about Nino Kuni, uh, Wrath of the White Witch, I think is the title. Yep. And he's played it on PS3, and he was just talking about how wonderful it is. And since he told me about it, I've seen online a lot of other people talking about it and just saying how it's the best RPG on the PlayStation 3. And I know that I'd mentioned it to you before, and you didn't think it was for you because of early sections of it or something like that? Yeah, I tried it and I, I didn't love it. Um, the art style was definitely unique, but like the gameplay just, there wasn't enough there to hook me. I gave up on it pretty quick. I haven't touched it at all or even seen it been played other than videos, so I'd like to know about it. And you mentioned Star Ocean, and I that got me really thinking about how the ones that I want to know more about are Star Ocean games and an old series called Bahamut Lagoon or Bahamut Lagoon that Squaresoft did that I used to play on emulators that I don't know whatever happened to this series, but at the time when I was a young teenager or an older teenager and young adult, they were not in the United States. This was before the first Star Ocean game had been translated into English, and I played a lot of Japanese games that had never been released in English that people had open source translated into ROMs and Super Nintendo emulators. Oh, wow. And I loved Bahamut Lagoon and Star Ocean as far as I could get into them before the translators ran out or the emulators messed up and they weren't able to process certain graphics glitches and and gameplay uh, mechanics and things like that. But I adored these just, I don't even know what word to use, just these second-rate translations. (laughs) Just the... I don't even want to say second rate. Just They're these fan crowd, translations. Fan translations of Japanese games that were done as a labor of love that as a player, I loved them. And I want to know more about them in their native language or, you know, translations and official localization because I played Final Fantasy V like that. The first time I beat Final Fantasy V was on an emulator before they released an English version of it and said that his name was Bartz. It was... This ROM had translated into butts, B-U-T-Z. Oh, yeah, that's classic. That that was actually in one of the releases here in the U.S. Was it? Yep. Okay, so that was what I was, how I was originally introduced to Final Fantasy V. I beat a fan translation of it on an emulator on my old Hewlett-Packard PC was how I first beat Final Fantasy V. So I have a huge, a huge fandom for things like Bahamut Lagoon Star Ocean games that were never released least in the united states so like i guess i want to know more about those wow yeah and maybe next year i can talk you into doing final fantasy 5 again for the maybe so we'll see we'll see when the calendar swings back around that way um do we want to talk about like current generation just a little bit i know very little about current gen so i'd like you to catch me up i can do that so one of the open secrets of the current generation is that the vita is an amazing console for jrpgs most of the games that we've talked about so far not all of them most of them were like from that playstation and playstation 2 era Mm -hmm. and almost all of the jrpgs from that playstation era are now released as like playstation classics on the psn store and you can play those on your vita did you know that yes i knew that because i see a lot of them on my ps3 that it says ps3 slash vita on it when i bought when i haven't bought them when i could buy them so when I did my replay of the entire Final Fantasy series, I played 7, 8, 9, and 10 all on the Vita, and it was an amazing experience. 
I highly, highly recommend it because then it basically means that you can save anywhere because mm-hmm. you can just turn the system off. You don't have to leave it running, you know, which is a huge change from trying to play it on an actual PlayStation or PlayStation yeah. 2. Like, I, I love my Vita for that. And then a bunch of just like current gen, I wouldn't call them bad games or indie games, but I would call them like second tier games. They're not triple A JRPGs, but they are mid grade JRPGs yeah. that are coming out in Japan. There are tons and tons and tons of those releasing on the Vita all the time that like wow. they don't get news here. But if you go look on the PlayStation Network store, there are a ton of them out there. So open secret of this generation, the Vita is an amazing console for JRPGs. So if anything, you know, in this podcast in particular has sparked an interest for you, you might want to look at that, especially now that like Sony's not putting out AAA games for it. Vitas are pretty cheap to pick up. And even though it's not a very a very well-supported console and there weren't a lot of things on there, I will say that I've thought about picking one up just for Final Fantasy X because when I saw that game remastered played on a Vita, it's freaking beautiful. Oh, yeah, I loved it. Like, I still love my Vita because of the JRPGs on it, and that's really what made it a system, like, that sold me on the system was the availability yeah. of the JRPGs. Um, that's honestly what sold me a Game Boy Advance SP. was being able to play super nintendo remasters it's essentially a super in my pocket and that made it where i could play the games that i loved breath of fire final fantasy games that was what sold the sp to me sure no i can see that so um other current generation stuff there are if one of these jrpgs isn't on the vita because it was a nintendo console most of those jrpgs are now available on the wii u eShop, which hopefully means they're going to carry over into the nx for the next system and they'll keep supporting them on the virtual console you can get earthbound right now for the wii u you can also get um just as of like a week ago you can get super mario rpg legend of the seven stars on the eShop for wii u so that's really cool i don't know if you realize that i didn't i don't have a wii u so i can't i'm waiting on the nx so i'm really hoping they do the same thing with it so i can pick it up yeah, I hope that all the virtual console games from Wii U transfer to NX, but we'll see with time how that goes. Otherwise, there's also Xenoblade Chronicles X, which we touched on. That's a Wii U game, but not a virtual mm-hmm. console, just a straight Wii U game. Um, Star Ocean Integrity and Faithlessness, that released like a month or two ago on PS4. I think it's a PS4 exclusive, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay. So again, if I go back and touch the Star Ocean series, maybe that's a good place to jump on because it's current gen. Besides that, the games that I'm actually excited for, for this generation, Cosmic Star Heroine is one that I've been keeping an eye on ever since it Kickstarter. Do you know about this one? No, I, I don't. I was actually just staring at the notes, seeing its name and being like, that's a that's an RPG name. So it is essentially, how do I say this? It is a sci-fi spiritual successor to Chrono Trigger done by Western developers. I mean, oh. that's the best summary I can give you of the game. It's not out yet, but I have seen enough about it and I've kept up with it enough. And I actually, when I went to PAX West in 2015, um, my, my brother and I played it on the show floor. It was like in the PlayStation booth in the section where they just throw all the indies and it was on like only yeah. one screen. And, you know, like right next to it was Battlefront, which nobody had played yet. And everyone wanted to play, you know, the new Star Wars Battlefront game. And I was like, oh, Cosmic Star Heroine. I need hands on time with that game. So I just walked up because there was nobody there. And I, I played like 25 minutes of it. 
that sold me on the game. I'm getting that on day one, no question. Oh, and and I'm looking at the Kickstarter page right now as you're talking, and I'm listening to this and hearing you you talk about how wonderful it is. It is showing up for PC and Mac as well. PC, Mac, PS4, and Vita. So oh, okay. That's cool. I can play it. Excellent. So I will pick it up probably on one of the PlayStation consoles. I don't know which one yet. I'm going to wait till the game comes out and see the reviews and pick a console, but I'm going to get Cosmic Star Heroin when it comes out because... I had hands-on time with it, and it reminded me of Chrono Trigger, and I liked it. And I, I have also played other games by this developer. They're a good developer. And just so that you guys know, right now I'm looking at it, and as as we are recording, I am clicking into a link that says the Humble Store has a pre-order page. I will include this in the show notes for you guys, and I'm going to go ahead and pre-order it because you can get it for $11.99 right now on the Humble Store for PC. <laughs> Nice. So the other game coming out this year that is also a Chrono Trigger spiritual successor, but this one is actually by a subset of Square Enix, is called I Am Setsuna. And it's out Hmm. in, ooh, depending on when this episode comes out, it might be out already. It's out sometime in July. It's out very soon. And it's by, I believe it's by Tokyo RPG Factory, which is a new branch like a sub company that Square Enix spun up specifically to focus on JRPGs. So this is their first real game. They wanted to tackle a spiritual successor to Chrono Trigger. So that is I Am Setsuna, and it's out very soon. And once again, is on pre-purchase on Steam. (laughs) I love that you're looking them up as I'm talking. I I like when I can... I've never seen... You can see how excited I am for JRPGs is because I am focused when we record podcasts. You guys, I don't know if you know, I sit and I stare at my notes and I am talking directly at this microphone that I'm having this conversation with him. He starts talking about spiritual successors to Chrono Trigger. I start opening up new tabs and doing the uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. I'm pre-ordering games as he talks. Yes, okay. So that's how much I care about these. I'm excited for both of those. And then the other two that I am super excited for Final Fantasy 15 is out in September. And with my love of Final Fantasy, the the mainline series of Final Fantasy, there is no way that I'm not picking this up day one and playing it to the exclusion of every other game in my collection until I finish it. Like, it's a foregone conclusion for me. I'm going to pick up this game. Whether or not it's good, whether or not the story holds up, you know, who knows? This game's been in development for 10 years. No, more than that now, I think. It's been in development since basically the same time that final fantasy 13 started development do you know this Uh, story yes yes i do but i don't know if all of our listeners do final fantasy 13 when it was pitched and when it was created it was made as part of this uh, oh what's it called fabula nova crystallis like yeah it's something along those lines it was supposed to be like a greater expanded universe around the same core concepts but have a bunch of different games so when they announced final fantasy 13 they also announced a game called final fantasy 13 versus and Mm -hmm. that was the game that was being developed at the exact same time that game eventually turned into final fantasy 15 so this has been in development since final fantasy 13 has been which probably was 2005 so yeah it's probably been over 10 years of development now and it's finally coming out i mean it's a new mainline final fantasy game I'm excited. 
most people who play Final Fantasy are excited to have a new mainline game out. And I'm weirdly not that excited about this one. I've been let down too much by the Final Fantasy series that with new releases, I'm honestly not holding my breath that this one's going to be great. I want it to be great. It looks great. I'm going to watch the movie when it comes out that they're releasing, but I don't hold a lot, put a lot of stock in that the game itself is going to be as fantastic as I want it to be and I'm hoping that I'm wrong because I haven't played the demo I don't have a PS4 so I'm holding out hope that it's good but I'm not letting myself get excited for it see I liked the demo but it feels like it's the most western Final Fantasy they've ever created and that worries me a little bit I mean, the thing is, I'm going to stay optimistic because Final Fantasy reinvents itself with every mainline yep. game. So yes, I'll be fine. I'll be optimistic about Final Fantasy 15 because the series reinvents itself with every new game. And generally, yeah. I've liked what they've done over time. The last game that's currently announced for this generation of consoles that I'm super pumped about that I wouldn't have cared about 12 months ago is Persona 5. It's it's because of Persona 4. I mean, I gushed about it a ton when we were talking about our favorite games. Yep. Persona 4 went from being a game that I had barely heard of to being on my top JRPGs of all time list. So Persona 5 is like right up there on the hype meter for me. That, of course, yeah. I mean, if it's as good, if 4 is as good as you say it is, then 5 is definitely going to be on your list. Yeah. Do you have any other questions about like current generation JRPGs? No, because I've already pre-ordered one while we've recorded. So I think I'm set. I will count that as a success. We should probably move on to our weekly geekery. If you don't know, weekly geekery is where we share what we've been geeking out about this week in particular. Why don't you tell us what you've been up to? Um, I've been really crazy about RPG Maker. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but there's a piece of software and there's lots of versions out on Steam called RPG Maker. It's a very old piece of software that I used to play with it when I was in high school making these little snippets of JRPGs. It is a tool set that let that gives you tiles and sprites and animations and you're scripting events and just putting together your own version of a JRPG. The tools are way more robust now. I knew that we were having a JRPG episode coming up, but I also am learning Ruby to program uh, the programming language. So I learned that all of the older versions of RPG Maker are written in Ruby and that you use the Ruby programming language to script events. So you can basically customize everything in the game uh, with scripting with the Ruby programming language. So I am desperate to find a way to make this a learning tool as I'm moving forward trying to get uh, the skills into coding. If you know how to use the RPG Maker software that is based around Ruby and use it as a learning tool, please let me know because I am going to be just muddling my way through it, uh, trying to make my own little vignettes of role-playing games. There is a current version called MV that is like Muddy Victory, and it is switched from Ruby to JavaScript. So they are. it is a much more robust engine because JavaScript is a much more robust language than Ruby, and you can do a lot more with it. So as I move and transition from, from Ruby and learn, start you learning more JavaScript, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be trying to figure out how to use MV uh, to script javascript as opposed to vx ace 
Ace as in, yeah, the, the, they're named like Japanese uh, RPGs as well. How fitting. V as in virtual, X as in Professor Xavier, and Ace as in Ace in the Hole was the last one that used Ruby, and Muddy Victory, MV, is the newest one using JavaScript. And see, you have me interested when you said JavaScript, because that's one of my day-to-day languages that I use when I'm doing web development. So Okay. Java, that might be a spot where I actually jump into RPG Maker finally, now that they're supporting JavaScript. Now, the software is expensive. I think it retails for the base tool set at $79, Ooh. but it's expensive. And there there are dozens and dozens of DLC tool sets that you'll have. Like I think there are Cthulhu tool sets. There are just all sorts of different themed sets that you can buy, but they go on Steam sale. All of these are available on Steam and put them in your wish list and you will get an update whenever they go on sale. Uh, put the base games and VX Ace has a light version that I've just downloaded and haven't even booted up that is free to use to see if this is your kind of thing. So hit that up on Steam like I did, but it uses Ruby, But and there's no free version for the JavaScript one, though. Oh, but the, that means it probably will be eventually. That there probably will be at some point, yeah, because it's a fairly new piece of software. It, it It's within the last year or so, I believe. Okay, I'll keep my eyes out. Cool. Um, I have Fire Emblem Fates Conquest this week. So Fire Emblem Fates has three campaigns. I think I might have talked about it a bit on the podcast, Mm -hmm. even though I was playing it before we started doing this podcast. Um, (laughs) When the game first came out, I beat Fire Emblem Fates Birthright. That was the first campaign I did. I finished that within like four days of the game coming out because I I was just way into it. And I immediately paid... You can pay for the other campaigns without having to pay full price for the game again. So I picked up Conquest next. I immediately jumped into that and got about two-thirds of the way through the campaign. And then I I just kind of like gave myself burnout on the game because I had played so much of it in like a week and a half period. I had to set it down. Totally understandable. <laughs> yeah, that was my own fault. So I finally came back around to it and picked it up right where I left off. I remembered enough. It was no big deal. And so I'm almost done with the Conquest campaign. It's really good. Like, Birthright is the place to start if you've never played a Fire Emblem before, or if any past Fire Emblem has been hard for you. Birthright is definitely, like, the easier one, but Conquest is really good. So Conquest is a great second one to follow it up with. And then the third one is called Revelations, and it's kind of like a middle path between the two that gives you, like, a true ending to the story. I'm probably going to pick that one up before I travel. I'm traveling very soon after this podcast is releasing. So I'm probably going to grab that one for the plane and try to beat the Revelation storyline also. And then I'll have seen the same story from three different perspectives and I'll have totally and completely beaten Fire Emblem Fates. Then I have to ask, based on uh, our previous podcast, are you going to play it in, is it casual mode or hardcore mode? I have been playing, um, so far both of these I'm playing on normal difficulty casual mode. So the normal difficulty is about right for me. And then casual mode means that my guys can get knocked out for that battle, but nobody ever truly dies and gets taken away forever. They come back 
between battles so I can use them the next time. I haven't been playing on like the traditional mode because that has permadeath and it makes me angry. And then I haven't been playing yeah. on Phoenix because it makes it uh, too easy. <laughs> but yeah, normal uh, casual seems to be the right place for me. Awesome. I was just curious on where you were falling with uh, with these with this next one. Yeah, it's, it's a really good strategy RPG. Um, if you and it's a JRPG too, it feels like it, you know, even though it's a strategy RPG. Um, right. Yeah, if you have a 3DS at all, I I would recommend picking it up. It's a really good game. Pick up. It depends on how you're coming at the series. If you played Fire Emblem before and want a challenge, pick up Conquest. If you haven't played Fire Emblem before but are interested, pick up Birthright. Either one is great. They're both really fun games. I'm personally waiting on the iOS version that they're they said they were coming out with, and I think that one will be the easier transition for me. Ooh, I'm super excited for that. That that if you don't yeah. know, that is one of Nintendo's announced mobile games that they are helping make basically um i know pokemon go is kind of a nintendo game but really it's just a nintendo ip that they handed off to a third party right the ones that are actually developed with their new partnerships that are going to be long term and nintendo's overseeing those fire emblem is one of them and it's coming out this fall i'm super excited for it i can't wait to play it yeah i'm excited too Cool. Well, as you guys know, you can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com, or you can reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. If you want to get email updates about any of our network's podcasts, you can sign up at geek2geekcast.net and tell us what shows you want to get updates about. I blog almost daily at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at grnmushroom, that's green mushroom without the E's, on Twitter. I also run Video Game News Now. It's a podcast. You can find it on all the podcast places if you want to get headline video game news quickly. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beej. That's Beej with two E's. And I host the Geek Fitness Health Hacks podcast. You can find it in all the normal podcast places as well as geekfitness.net. And if you just can't get enough of me, please check out my science fiction and steampunk novels at bjkeaton.com and even grab the first one in my trilogy for free. We've been Void and Beej with your Geek Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. We've been Void and Beach with your geeky cup pot. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah.